Yeah, I don't really know what to say, but thank you to all the men and women in uniform and all of the neighbors. That's Malibu City Council member Skylar Peak. Then he thanks another group. The Point Du Bombers. The Point Doom Bombers became local heroes for what they did. They stepped up when first responders fell short. And as you can hear, the community rallied behind them. It's November 13th, 2018, five days after the Woolsey fire started. This Santa Monica High School auditorium is packed with Malibu residents who, along with a quarter of a million people, fled the fire. At this point, many people still don't know if they'll have a home to return to. They were desperate to know what was going on behind the fire lines. He said, no more tyranny, information. A lot of this meeting sounded like this. I know that you guys are angry, and I know that you guys are frustrated and tensions are hot, but you need to listen. And what little information they did have was from people like the bombers who'd refused to leave, or what they saw on the news. Uh, this fire has come roaring down the hillside in the last few minutes. It moved so fast, so aggressive. A number of homes, a number of homes have been destroyed. 200,000 people and 75,000 homes have been evacuated. At least two people there have been killed and several firefighters have been injured. In total, 1,643 structures were destroyed by Woolsey, making it the most destructive fire in L.A. County history. Of the buildings destroyed, 488 were single-family homes in Malibu City. People were eventually let back in, and many of them no longer had a home to go to. This is Sandcastles, a podcast about home, how we create it, and why we fight so hard for it. I'm your host, Adriana Cargill. This is episode five, Community Brigade. In this season so far, we've heard firsthand about the destruction and devastation of Woolsey. But in all that pain, loss, and grief, we also saw the stubborn, defiant determination of the Point Doom bombers to help their community through some of its darkest moments. Now, in this final episode, we look at how they're learning to live with fire and what that could mean for communities across California and possibly the world. And as a reminder, there will be explicit language. That meeting you heard was in the week following the Woolsey fire. But in the years since, the Point Doom bombers haven't stopped. They've actually been quite busy. A plane flies overhead as neighbors talk. 
Is this overkill for my jacuzzi? That's perfect for your jacuzzi. It's a sunny Saturday morning in Malibu West, and about 50 locals are here today. I'm standing by a backyard pool. Bobby Milstein, the owner of SoCal Fire Supply, is showing people how to make use of what they got. So as you have municipal water, it's continuing to refill as you go. So for the Wolsey fire, I use this pump in my jacuzzi, which is 500 gallons, and use it sparingly in one area of property. And that's Walter Shirk, a Malibu resident and retired division chief from the Santa Monica Fire Department. These pumps are made for wildfires, but in the case municipal water goes out, they're teaching neighbors how to get water from their pools. He turns on the pump, And then, water shoots out. If you boil it down, what they're really doing is teaching their neighbors how to protect their homes from wildfires and defend them if necessary. You're not going to chase it up that hill for a number of reasons. It's dangerous, and you don't, there's not enough water in the world to put that fire out. You're going to wait at the safe area predetermined and do what you can do to protect the structure. Keegan Gibbs is also here, helping to share best practices on these pumps. He's one of the new generation of Point Doom bombers. And the best thing you can do for you guys, which we did for Point Doom, is we did everybody's pumps the same. And they're all rigged the same. Everything suction the hoses same, go the all same. The same fitting. So your pump breaks because everybody ends up leaving gas in it, not taking care of it, rusted, whatever right. falls a pool. Oh, oh, I can just take the pump end off this one and put it on this one. Keegan's wearing workman boots, a trucker hat, a white T-shirt, and neon orange reflective wraparound sunglasses. He's got the classic surfer body: tall, lean, tan. His dad moved to Hollywood in the '70s with nothing but a VW bus, $20 in his pocket, and dreams of becoming a musician. In the early 90s, he moved his family to Malibu. We get into the car to go to another demonstration on this sunny October day. Seems like you know a lot of this stuff already. Don't want to admit how much time I've spent. <laughs> Do you feel nervous at all that it's fall time? No, I just get excited. <laughs> You're ready. Excited is not exactly what I expected, considering Keegan and his parents lost their home to the Woolsey fire. On the day it burned down, he wasn't even close to ready. If the scientist from uh, Back to the Future knocked on our door the day before Woolsey and said, hey, there's going to be a really big fire tomorrow and your house is going to burn down, I would have told the guy, like, you're out of your mind. (laughs) You're out of your mind. Like, get out of here. Before the fire, he and his friends were pretty much clueless on how to fight or get prepared for wildfires. Right before the fire front got through, one of my friends was on his roof watering his terracotta roof. Like, your terracotta roof's not going to burn down. It's clay. There's a million things Keegan wished he would have done differently. Things he wished he knew. He's hellbent on never being that ignorant again. If I don't do something about it, 
then I'll regret it, right? Then I'll regret being that ignorant guy the day before the fire. And that something is changing the culture around wildfires. He had some vague ideas on what that might look like. Keegan and many of his neighbors have been trying to figure out the best way forward. For him, there's a saying of Bobby Milstein's, the owner of SoCal Fire Supply, that's become a North Star. We live in a fireplace, and if you expect to not get burned eventually, you're wrong. You live in a fireplace. Learn how to live in the fireplace. The Point Doom bombers didn't set out to invent a new model for community response to wildfires. But that's what ended up happening. It all started with something that seemed pretty trivial at the time. A small problem, really. The bombers were coordinating the shipping and receiving of supplies a few days into the fire, and they were getting a lot of stuff. Potato chips and band-aids and uh, toilet paper and toothbrushes and stuff. Things they really didn't need. The bombers set up a GoFundMe for cash donations so they could buy things they actually needed. Maybe we can raise, you know, $5,000. We'll be able to buy a fire pump and some hoses and it can live on Point Doom. And next time there's a fire, anybody that knows how to use it can grab it and help fight the fire. They ended up raising over 75 grand. We were a little overwhelmed, frankly, about the amount of money that was donated. And we're like, what are we going to do with this money? They were, for lack of a better term, fish out of water. The common thread of this group is they all grew up surfing together. So they know a lot about the ocean. Wildfires and managing donations, not so much. Could have taken that money and you know, distributed it amongst people that needed it most, people that were underinsured. But what's that going to do for the next time there's a fire? It's not going to change the culture of people existing in this fireplace. So Keegan started asking questions, lots of them. There's information out there, don't get me wrong, but it's just so sparse all over the place. Keegan started talking to his friends, taking classes, trying to educate himself. There is no real template out there. Like there's no firebrigades.org. You go on there and you figure out where you buy your gear and there's no real curriculum for basic fire behavior, fire science stuff that are just the necessities for somebody that's staying to defend their house. He soon found out about the Malibu West Volunteer Fire Brigade, which was actually started back in 2012. Keegan started collaborating with them, and after a couple months, the bombers made their first purchase. It's an old 1996 Ford F-450 Super Duty truck that I found online that used to be Bakersfield Fire Department's truck that was sitting kind of dilapidated in the Midwest somewhere. By now, he learned that what happened to Point Doom wasn't random. There were reasons why some houses survived and others didn't. That some people lived while others died. In the equation of survival, the common denominator that makes the biggest difference? Knowledge of fire behavior, 
fire safety, having a plan. There is so much to learn. All of this organizing is happening in the shadow of one of the largest fire departments in the U.S., L.A. County. Malibu is a city of around 11,000 people. And because it's so small, it contracts its fire defense from the county. L.A. County has a whopping $1.4 billion budget. Yeah, that's billion with a B. They're the second largest fire department in the country. Only New York City is bigger. But L.A. County is actually larger by area. It's got roughly 3,000 firefighters, making it one of the largest, most well-funded, and well-respected fire departments in the nation. So, why did so many homes burn? I never wondered where the fire department was during Woolsey. Mikey Pearson was a Malibu City Council member when the fire hit. I could do the math. So, let's do some math. Malibu has 53 firemen divided into 12 stations. It's got 14 engines versus Malibu's 5,000-ish homes. So stay with me. That's roughly one engine per 370 homes. But it's not that simple. The equation gets even more complicated when you add in the fact that Malibu is mostly a bunch of mountains and canyons. So some homes are very difficult, if not impossible, to reach. A 14, 15-mile fire front, there's no firefighters to fight that. And we're not going to pay the taxes to hire that many. So when we were fighting the fire and there was no firemen here at all, zero for a long time, I never stopped to wonder about it or get mad at them. I, I knew why. But I still wanted to know how. So I found someone who could break it all down. And then just to do a little bit of a sound check, can you tell me what you had for breakfast today? Coffee. I'm going to need more than one word. Maybe describe the coffee. Coffee and more coffee that was black cowboy coffee. This is not surprising, given what this guy does for a living. This is Drew Smith with Los Angeles County Fire Department. I'm the assistant fire chief here responsible uh, for the Santa Monica Mountains. I'm Division 7. His salt and pepper hair is buzz cut. He's got a one-sided smile and deeply etched crow's feet. He sits up straight, never slouches. He's the top dog for L.A. County Fire here in Malibu. And he tells me during the Woolsey Fire, they did get some help from L.A. City and Ventura County Fire Departments. But... Even with that? It is unrealistic to think that we're going to park a fire engine at every home. Still, a lot of people were really upset with what they saw as the department's shortcomings. I know that there's people think that we failed. But we didn't fail. If we have a fire that starts and it gets away from us and it's moving and we're chasing this tiger by the tail... It's the fire's time to win. And when conditions are right, it almost certainly will. In this area, if Santa Ana winds reach over 50 miles per hour and the land is bone dry, a fire over five to seven acres is generally considered unstoppable. That was certainly the case with Woolsey. And some areas 
were just too dangerous to send people into. If we would have had an exponential amount of engine companies south of the 101 freeway, I truly believe we would have had been going to firefighter funerals. No fire department in the U.S. has the resources to stop wildfires the size, speed, and intensity of Woolsey, which, I have to say, is small potatoes in comparison to the size of the August Complex fire or the death toll of the campfire in Paradise. So, doesn't it make sense to have a neighborhood fire brigade fill the resource gap? That was the original idea Keegan and others presented to Assistant Chief Smith and the L.A. County Fire Department in November 2020, two years after Woolsey. The initial vision was people to staff their own purchase fire trucks, build their own fire trucks, and stay at home and fight fire to save their communities, which is a bad, bad plan. In case I missed it the first time. Bad, bad, bad idea. The reason why he's against stay and defend at all costs comes from his 34 years as a firefighter. Back in 2009, he lost two men in the station fire, which, to date, is still the largest in L.A. County history, roughly one and a half times the footprint of Woolsey. They stayed and defended Camp 16, Mount Gleason. And so... When it happens to some of your best people that are very valued in the organization on their experience, their rational decision-making, and that it can happen to them based upon a stay and defend, it changes you. Given his reservations, it's interesting that he didn't say an outright no to the program. He actually sees potential in it. And so does Brent Woodworth, the founder and CEO of the Los Angeles Emergency Preparedness Foundation. He was one of the people who presented the idea alongside Keegan in that original meeting. Fires aren't going away. We know this is going to keep happening. So let's just get better at how we handle and manage it. And that's the whole purpose of the brigade. Brent knows what he's doing when it comes to disasters. He spent over 30 years traveling the world, working as IBM's crisis response lead, responding to tsunamis in Asia, earthquakes in Mexico, 9-11, and the list goes on. He's also a longtime Malibu resident, and after Woolsey, he thought, we've got the talent, resources, and money to figure out a better way. He met Keegan at a community meeting not long after Woolsey. Keegan and his brigade showed up, and I was so impressed with what he did, what Tyler, what the rest of the group did in responding and addressing the challenges. Under the umbrella of his foundation, they started a working group that included some Point Du bombers, community members, and then occasionally firefighters, NGOs, sheriff department reps, and other community stakeholders. Twice a month, for years, They got together to try and figure out a new way forward. You might be wondering, is it a stay and defend? Not really. 
what it does is it takes advantage of the fabric or the cloth of neighborhood communities and that community feeling and amplifies it with tools and education. Nobody knows a community better than the people that live there. The Community Brigade Pilot Program, that's its official name, is partially based on what the bombers did right and what they did wrong during Woolsey. Ideally, they want it to be a two-year pilot program in official collaboration with the L.A. County Fire Department. So, what is it? There are three pillars. One, preparation and mitigation. Two, field operations, which is the stay-and-defend part, by far the most controversial. And three, post-fire. It's an all-hazards approach, meaning it's for earthquakes, mudslides, any disaster, really. But for this podcast, we're just going to focus on wildfires. There's two main goals. Prevent the loss of lives and homes. Emphasis on the lives. Here's the gist. It's 50 hours or so of training in the first year. Members learn about wildfire behavior, safety, and preparation. There's also a big focus on communication, learning the lingo and the way the pros talk to each other. Anyone over 18 can join, but not everyone will be focusing on the same stuff or doing the same things. Right now, there's about 100 people divided into seven Malibu neighborhoods taking part in this experiment. Let's tackle the preparation pillar first. And to do that, we got to solve a mystery from the third episode. And for that, we got to go to Point Doom. Hey, Keegan. How's it going? Nice to see you. Been a long time. Yeah, how you doing? I'm good. A lot of homes on his street were destroyed. Keegan's is now just an empty lot full of wood chips and some trailers. When I recorded this, roughly three years after the fire, his parents still haven't rebuilt. You never realize how much work it takes to rebuild a home from scratch, dealing with insurance. I asked how much they got to rebuild. So like the insurance company basically gave them 20% of what it would cost to rebuild. And then Trinity was like, all right, bye. My parents were like, what? Like, <laughs> you can't rebuild with this. I had to find it and it was a nightmare, total nightmare. Yes, miserable. Let's go try to go in here. We head down the sloping backyard, onto a wooden walkway, and over a koi pond. This is pretty. And then step onto a stone landing. There's a one-story building here, covered in cedar shingles. It's painted green, and there are timber beams stained a reddish color, holding up the wooden roof and forming columns on the corners. They call it the woodshed. This smells so good in here. It smells like hey. wood. My dad's a musician, composer, and built this as his, like, his recording studio, um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And now, since then, it's become this, like, kind of go-to recording studio destination for, like, everybody. Like, literally, everybody. Lady Gaga was in here yesterday. I think she'll be in here later today. And... We walk into a giant room filled with instruments and recording equipment. This place feels like a sanctuary, a hidden gem far away from L.A. and the wreckage of homes on either side. When the Woolsey fire hit, Keegan wasn't here, but 
he saw it burning on the news. The next morning, he and his friends sneaked past the roadblocks. There was still fire all over the place. But this thing, I, I thought, you know, we all thought, oh my God, this is a miracle this place is standing. This place is where we're actually standing. And it's about 50 feet from where his parents' house used to be. And it survived the fire, which seems insane, but... And then you start learning about the home ignition zone principles. You're all, oh, it's not a miracle. It's actually just basic fire science. Oh, it's way, it's actually pretty simple. (laughs) This thing wasn't gonna burn down. It's not a miracle. Here's some fire science. Most homes don't burn down when the fire front comes through. You know, those big scary flames we've all seen on TV. Most, an estimated 85% of homes, actually burn down from embers. That's right, those little snowflakes of fire. They get in through air vents, go in through open windows, or start nearby brush on fire. This can happen before or directly after the fire front comes through. Jack Cohen is a retired U.S. Forest Service fire scientist who spent decades trying to figure out how structures ignite during wildfires. Cohen frames it this way. We don't have a wildfire problem. We have a home ignition problem. Wildfires are a natural part of the ecology here. And protecting homes from embers is the most effective way to reduce home loss. By a long shot. It's called home hardening. And it saved this studio. Let's go through how. First, it's got two sets of double-pane windows and high-temp glass, which makes it soundproof, but also ember-proof. In the first five feet surrounding the building, there's stone tiling on the ground. Then, it's his mom's regenerative garden, which is full of damp plants. And a koi pond. It's a beautiful design, but it also happens totally by chance to create five feet of defensible space in what's known as the home ignition zone. This zone is one of the most important areas to harden. Doing it is different for every home. This area can be up to 100 feet, depending on the property. So there's no one-size-fits-all. You could have a forest essentially on fire 50 feet away. And, I mean, you did. Well, yeah, we did. <laughs> and we had a house burning 50 feet away for hours and hours at 2,500 degrees. Home fires can get that hot, although it's not usually sustained for hours. But his point still stands. There was stuff burning really hot all around. The studio backs up against a gully, which was filled with decades worth of chaparral and other plant fuel buildup. Think of it like a pile of gunpowder, just waiting for a spark. Even still, the wood-covered studio didn't burn. This was a wake-up call. You see every time there's a fire, you see on Channel 7 or something, we're standing at, at the Gibbs studio, and it's a miracle. It continues to perpetuate this idea that there's nothing we can do that's going to prevent our homes from burning down. So there's nothing you can do about it. It's up to God or the firefighters, you know? And it's not true. It's just not true. Now he realizes there is something everyday people can do. Harden their homes. 
His family home wasn't, but the studio was. All brigade members are shown how and encouraged to do it for their own homes. Next, they'll go to their neighbors, as requested by the owners, to do a home ignition assessment. Then, members will give them a list of recommendations. Brigade members will also refer homeowners to financial assistance to make the changes if need be. CAL FIRE, that's the state-level forestry and fire protection agency, has already given a grant to the nonprofit Brent Woodworth Runs to begin this work. He's the disaster expert we met earlier in this episode. If somebody came to me and just said, hey, what's the one thing I can do to, to you know, help this situation out? Be like, harden your home. Straight up. That's it. Cohen says, if your neighbor's homes are hardened, it's less likely that yours will burn too. Brigade members are encouraged to harden their homes, in part because they hope when people see their neighbors doing it, they'll want to do it too. And if more people do, especially perimeter homes, the ones that back up against canyons or gullies, it helps protect the whole neighborhood. Brigades want team players who can focus on the good of the whole, not just their own. This brings us to pillar number two. Field operations. By far the stickiest and most controversial. This is the stay part of the program. Here's how it's supposed to work. Let's say there's a red flag warning issued. Brigade members would be on high alert and make themselves available. If a fire starts, LA County would let them know. And then? First things first is mitigation. Go door to door to check on people. Make sure they're aware there's a fire. One, help them evacuate if they need to. And then mitigating the house, you know, basically pulling the combustibles away from the house, making sure all their doors and windows are shut, gates are open. The priority here would be getting people out. Things the fire department does already, but often doesn't have enough staff to do for every home. Here is where the brigade can safely become a force multiplier. For example... It took the Woolsey Fire 24 hours to reach Point Doom. And there's a lot an organized group of folks can get done in 24 hours. Next. Once a fire front comes through, making sure we're in a safe spot. Brigade members would wait in a predetermined safe area until it passes. Then. Looking for embers, looking for combustible stuff, sealing everything up. Check. Next. Check. We can do that. This time period is critical, directly before the front, and sometimes up to a day later. It's the most high risk for losing houses. Assistant Chief Smith knows this, but his first concern is life safety. Where the fire conditions are as safe as possible for them to engage and help out with that mop-up endeavor, that is a potential Downed power lines, gas mains on fire, and debris on the roads can make entering post-fire zones unsafe for anyone, including firefighters. To be clear, the brigades will not fight the fire front or fight structure fires. That's left to the pros. But brigade members will be credentialed with the sheriff's department, meaning they can move in and out of evacuation zones, which leaves an opportunity for people to go rogue. But the reality in Malibu is... 
Did you stay during the Woolsey fire? Yes. Do you think it's a problem that homeowners stay during wildfires? Yes, <laughs> potentially. To potentially disastrous. I don't know that we'll ever quite figure this conundrum out, but for old school Malibu, there's always been some of us that stay and we're not suicidal, we're not renegade cowboys. We just understand the community and we understand fire to some degree. We're not firefighters. That's Mikey Pearson again. He's lanky in his late 50s with kind eyes and a smile that lights up his face. He's lived here his whole life. This is the rub. Malibu has a tradition dating back to the 1800s of people staying and fighting wildfires. It's part of the DNA of residents who've been here for generations. But how do you figure out who should stay and who shouldn't? The short answer is they're still figuring that out. At the time of this interview, Mikey was on the Malibu City Council, and I asked him what its official stance was. On the community brigade, just a neutral stance, um, not supporting them openly or anything. We really can't. It should be said his literal stance is that during this interview, he's wearing a neon yellow fire jacket that says Malibu West Fire Brigade. And... He's one of its core members. So the fear that I have is people are now assuming that if they stay like I did, that they will automatically save their home. And that's far from the truth. The truth is, homeowners all over the West are increasingly having to make this decision. Stay or go. Stay and defend isn't a new idea. Back in 2009, Australia had a policy supporting people's choice to stay and defend their homes. Then, the deadly Black Saturday fires happened. Good evening. Victoria's worst fears have been realized today with wild winds whipping up dozens of fires around the state. It was absolute carnage. The roar of the wind was incredible. It was like you're standing behind a plane. nothing, Nothing could stop it. 173 people died, and over 2,000 homes were lost. We have no idea how many people stayed to defend their homes, and the fear is that there could just be so many people who have been stuck here and not able to escape. That fire was actually 400 separate fires that started on the same day in extreme bushfire conditions. It went on to burn over a million acres. After so many people died, the policy was put under review and never revived. Today, Australia encourages people to leave early. But what they're proposing in Malibu is different. Instead of stay and defend at all costs, it's more of a evaluate the situation with others who've spent a lot of time preparing for this moment and then maybe stay. The emphasis here is on groupthink, never acting alone. The truth is, a bunch of people thought they were going to stay in this neighborhood. So when Woolsey came down Trancas Canyon, there was, you know, a good eight, ten guys ready to fight the fire. And then it came roaring into the neighborhood. And we turned around, my son and I and Tim, and and, uh, there was nobody there. That was former city council member Mikey Pearson again. People leaving when the firefront is most intense can be very 
dangerous. That's how two people died. There was three people killed in Woolsey. Two of them were my friends that I grew up with. So these fires are dangerous. Can I ask how did they die? They were... uh, it was family. It was family members trying to evacuate, and they they screwed up and and took the wrong route through the mountains and just got caught. And they were in three cars, and one of the cars didn't make it. So they basically the rest of the family had to deal with that. It was horrible. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, horrible. Absolutely horrible. Is that something that? You know, if the brigades existed and there was more community knowledge, do you think it could have been avoided? Or You know, the lack of communication during Woolsey was potentially the issue. Uh, I'm, we were completely in the dark. I had no idea what was going on. I knew the fire was big, but I only knew my own little smoky world. I did not know anything else. Communication is key to safety. Being able to share information, like where the fire is or what roads are open, can mean life or death. During the Woolsey fire, power, internet, and cell service for many areas were out. And this is pretty common. In this situation, first responders use radios and repeaters when there isn't power to talk to each other. And the way they talk is called the incident command system. It's a lingo and hierarchy used to share information and coordinate. We, we did save a lot of houses, but we would have saved more houses by being able to hear each other and what was going on. My son and I were at the top of the neighborhood. We were each trying to defend 25 homes or so, but I couldn't see him. I didn't know where he was. Mikey Pearson somehow heard that Tim Bigelow, one of the original Point Doom bombers, needed help defending his family home. Here's Tim Bigelow. Why not evacuate? Why do you stay? Uh, well, I would have lost my house. My sister would have lost her house. And probably would have lost my dad's house. Every house around it burnt. And it would have been a lot, a lot worse than it was. By, by fighting it and stopping what we could there, it saved a lot of homes. Fire science here for a second. According to Cohen, radiant heat from flames can't burn a house unless they're 100 feet or closer. Remember, Point Doom is separated from the rest of Malibu by a highway, and Tim's home is on the first line of houses. So there is some truth to what he's saying. If homes don't catch on fire, the flames can't get close enough to burn others. Then they just have to worry about ember fires, which, if homes are hardened, become less of a threat. Doing immediate mop-up also helps save Tim's home. But... Was it the safest thing in the world? Maybe not. Brent Woodworth again, the guy who's leading the charge to formalize this model. So it becomes very obvious that if we can do a better job of training, educating, motivating people to take the proper action, both preparing for and responding to hazard events of all types, we're going to have a safer society. Many residents do, in fact, want to leave. Many don't want to get anywhere near a fire. And the brigade has roles for those people, too. Which brings us to the final pillar, post-fire. 
Brianna Strange is one of those people who wants to be nowhere near a fire. But she brought gasoline to help her community in the days after. I think we probably breached every single safety protocol that's ever been in place for handling gasoline. Like many of her fellow Point Doom bombers, she was very undereducated in fire safety. When she got there, after the fire front had passed, she immediately started helping. And then one of our family friends drove by, uh, and they had been fighting the fire in Malibu West, and they were just exhausted and hungry. And it was um, Mikey Pearson, who's now on city council. It was him and his son. So they came into the house. We fed them. She staffed the makeshift gas station with Tyler Hopman, a mechanical engineer who helped them safely manage it. Here's Tyler. It was just such an, an amazing event to witness where we all came together, this ragtag group of surfers with different skill sets, and we all had a job to do. We all fell in line like right away, instantly, did the best we could, and we did a great job. They could have done even more if they'd had foresight, education, safety protocols, training. The community brigade model would give them that. And there's tons of post-fire and logistical roles to be filled that don't require you to be anywhere near an active fire, like staff relief centers, hook people up with post-disaster resources, and of course, distribute supplies. In the brigade model, Everyone has a skill to bring and a role to play. A lawyer, a veteran, a mechanical engineer, a carpenter, a production manager on film sets, lifeguards. Those were all Point Doom bombers. But every community can make diversity its strength. Even Keegan, who's an artist and filmmaker, brings a valuable skill to the table. His unrelenting drive and his total refusal to let things go back to the way they were. Sam McGee was one of the new generation of bombers who stayed to fight the Woolsey fire. I talked with Sam about Keegan's leadership. Seems like Keegan put a lot of work into this. To say the least, Um, to say the least. Do you think that he was motivated by losing his house? Completely. And I feel, I feel just like awful for him, you know? And like, I wish I would have been able to do something. I think this is his way of basically making sure that that'll never happen again. Not only to him, but to, you know, anybody else around here. What happened to Keegan has long-lasting consequences. The fire has been emotionally and physically the most trying and exhausting experience that I know my family and probably my whole community has gone through. I mean, my family's still a mess, right? And I know a lot of people in our community are going through this exact same thing. It's this big question mark, like, are we gonna be able to stay? Can we stay here? For him, in many ways, the fire's still not over. There was never a moment of, like, celebration. Oh, yay, the fire's out. So, so you know there's going to be another fire at some point. After we did that first training session with a group of friends of mine for the fire brigade, I thought was kind of, like, started to resemble a little bit of a bookend for me. 
he started to feel less helpless, like he was creating his future instead of things just happening to him. That's been the motivation to help all of us heal, I think, is to figure out how we can help each other out. As of April 2023, only 126 of 488 homes have been rebuilt in Malibu, roughly one in four. Insurance, permitting, and the high demand for contractors and builders, along with pandemic supply chain issues, has made recovery glacially slow. Lifelong Malibu resident, Kirby Kotler. It's easy to say, oh, you can replace it. Everyone says that. It isn't easy. I have friends of mine right now I was born and raised with that are homeless right now. These people are dying on the vine. They don't have money. Some of them have mental breakdowns. They're all trying to go through a permit process. They're all getting shanked by the city, by the county, by the state. It's hideous. Many people in Malibu don't have the financial resources to rebuild. Remember, a lot of blue-collar families live here. Stories of people saving their houses and how hard it is to rebuild may motivate more people to stay next time. But at what cost? Assistant Chief Drew Smith. With an evacuation order, and if you don't do it, you're taking a risk. And that risk might not have a positive outcome as we talked about. And so it highly concerns me. That risk could prove deadly. Most are not prepared, so they panic and call 911, which is what happened during Woolsey. There were 1,800 additional calls above the average in the first 24 hours. And remember, L.A. County has 228 engines total for the whole county, not just Malibu. So what did the fire department end up doing? They had to stop their structure defense and go try and get people. And because of that, they lost more structures. So more people lose confidence. And then the next time, more people want to stay. A vicious reinforcing cycle. Former Malibu City Council member Mikey Pearson. I think it's my personal hope that the brigades and some of the other things we're working on with LA County Fire right now, that it'll give the residents more of a sense of security that they can leave when a fire comes because they'll see people that have obviously trained and have equipment and know what they're doing and you'll feel more secure leaving. It's a misdemeanor to stay during a mandatory evacuation order in California, but it's up to local agencies to enforce it. Assistant Chief Smith says if residents refuse, L.A. County makes them sign a waiver, and that's about it. So it's better if they choose to leave. Remember, Keegan said there's no one he would have believed if they told him his house was going to burn down? Well, there is actually someone. If Morgan knocked on my door the day before Woolsey and said, hey, Keegan, it's going to be a pretty bad fire tomorrow. Your parents' place is probably going to burn down. Really? Okay, what, what should we do? What can I do? Just because I know he's been through fires, he's a part of the Malibu fabric, and he's fought fires, and he gets it. Morgan Runyon owns and runs the Old Place Restaurant, the Malibu Institution, and one of the last surviving pieces of the area's ranch past. Morgan's got ice-blue eyes and sun-weathered skin. Keegan knew Morgan through the surfing community. Here's Morgan. What Keegan's doing is, yeah, he's... he's 
out of necessity, he recognized, wow, there are a bunch of people getting stuff done using, you know, a little bit of like common sense and presence. I mean, him doing this brigade is an amazing thing because like, I know I could use a lot more information, training, knowledge. With the help of a neighbor, Morgan successfully defended his restaurant, much like his dad did for decades. Every fire, he says he learns something new. And new challenges come up. Firemen coming from other areas, awesome, more the merrier. But it's also like they don't know what is at the end of the canyon. Like, yeah, there's a little old lady living in that house and she's not going anywhere. You know, someone needs to go check on her. For Keegan, neighbors' participation is key to making Point Doom more resilient. The line that's towed is just evacuating what the professionals do, what the professionals do. And to continue to perpetuate that idea that just stand aside, let the, let the agencies respond, just it's not realistic. So where is the Community Brigade pilot program today? We're just waiting for like the final meeting with the chief to basically say, Okay, go for it. Keegan told me that July 9th, 2021. Basically, they'd been meeting with the lower level guys and hadn't had a chance to meet with the ultimate decision maker, Fire Chief Anthony Maroney. And by summer 2022, not much had changed. Brent summed up how they were feeling. Maybe a little bit like waiting in line at the DMV. or It's not as bad as a root canal, but it's, it's still something that's a, a, a bit challenging. This was two years after they first presented it. That's a long time, but not to Assistant Chief Drew Smith. Can't go on, oh, well, it's taken two years to do this. I can talk for two years on all the stuff that we've improved on from where it was like we talked earlier. And so we're building a better product. Changes they've made. They made it an all-hazards approach. So it's not just for wildfires. They beefed up the mitigation and prep part. And they added more training for field operations. These changes have helped L.A. County get more comfortable with the idea. And now they've started coming to some of the brigade trainings in Malibu to share best practices. Back at the brigade training, I find Keegan chatting with Rick Mullen, the fire captain of Station 72 in Malibu, which, by the way, is in Decker Canyon, named for the homesteader who was the arch nemesis of May Ridge. If you remember, she's the former queen of Malibu. Rick has just finished showing folks how to lay out and use fire hoses. Great, great evolution here. Yeah, it's cool, right? Are you um, doing stuff like this in, in Point Doom? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we did one a few weeks ago. Um, really like drill base. We had everybody. We, time, we actually did like little competitions. We like timed everybody to see how fast they can prime a pool pump, and chew water, break everything back down. Then the same thing with a hydrant, same thing with a fire truck. And, yeah. After a morning of priming pumps and learning how to use various fire tools, I walk into the head of the brigade's backyard, where there's tacos. There's a couple dozen people here and a Mexican street vendor-style grill, set up with two people, serving hot tortillas, meats, and veggies. 
And of course, some tequila. Great. Here's to a successful another day the Fire Brigade that we are ready for the next event. I spot Tim Bigelow giving out shots to his fellow brigade members. And here's to all you guys for putting in your time and being involved and showing that we are a community. Salute. Well, you tried that in one Come school, on. huh? Nice yep. work. You know, hey, when you gotta, you know, when you go at some, go at it hard. Don't back down. <laughs> go big or go home. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Don't be afraid of it. People learned a lot, but they were also very clearly having fun with their neighbors. Brigades at their core are neighbors helping neighbors. And that's the same for the Point Doom Brigade. Today, Sam McGee lives in a tiny home he built in his parents' backyard. He's helped rebuild eight homes destroyed by Woolsey and still trains with the bombers. Robert Spangle's mother's house burned down in the fire and his landlord stopped renting to him. The demand for housing was so high after the fire, combined with skyrocketing rents, that Robert had to leave Malibu. He hopes to move back someday. He's a photographer working in fashion and war zones. And when he's in town... He also trains with the bombers. Woolsey was life-changing for Tyler Hotman. He became a certified wildfire mitigation specialist with the National Fire Protection Association and now does home assessments with the CAL FIRE grant. He also continues to train with the brigade. Brianna and her dad, who's also a lawyer, join forces to start a new law firm, and they represent over 300 clients affected by Woolsey. This litigation, more than four years later, is still ongoing. Sometimes when I'm writing these demands, you know, I'll send a client an email and be like, hey, what was the name of your dog? You know, little things that I want to humanize these so it's not just another case that Edison's working on. It's something that has a a story behind it because that's what I would have wanted. And Keegan, this year, 2023, marks the five-year anniversary of Woolsey, and his family home has still not been rebuilt. But... I'm ready. Every time there's a projected going to be a red flag event, I got all my stuff ready. There's a fire at 2 o'clock in the morning. I can send out one text, make one phone call, or call out on the radio, and I know for sure there's going to be 10 to 15 guys in my driveway within 20 minutes. Keegan's continued to work on this idea, Even though it hasn't been formalized yet, progress has been made. On October 7th, 2022, during a meeting with community leaders, city council members, Keegan, Brent, and others, L.A. County Fire Chief Maroney and CAL FIRE's Southern Region Head gave their approval of the pilot program. I spoke with Brent by phone not long after the meeting. This is a major breakthrough, Chief Smith's incredible knowledge of wildland fire, probably one of the finest in the country, and has been with us through this entire process and was always guiding us towards how to get to yes. And we finally got there. A step in the right direction, but they still haven't crossed the finish line. Since October 2022, they've been going back and forth about the legal docs. And now it's May 2023. That's over six months. To be fair, there's a lot of people and agencies involved here, and it represents a major culture shift. 
Brent and Keegan both describe it as moving away from total reliance on the fire department when disaster strikes to the community becoming an active partner. Today, the community brigade program is still not a reality, but Keegan hasn't lost faith. I I truly, truly believe that this is what needs to happen. And, you know, there's no money in it. There's no, like, we're not doing it to try to be heroes. We're not trying to do it to stand by what we did during the fire. We're really trying to do something that changes the culture for the future. Years of institutional inertia make most people give up. But I'm not surprised they've made it this far. Because it's the same drive and devotion I saw all those years ago in my newsroom. The bombers' loyalty to their home and their stubborn refusal to stand aside and do nothing while their community burns. And with Malibu roads cut off, people there are bringing in supplies by boat, including water, blankets, diapers, gasoline, and even some ice-cold beer. But... Even before I saw them on TV, this fire and its power fascinated me. And that Friday, November 9th, the night when Woolsey came roaring through Point Doom, I was biking down the Venice boardwalk to meet my family for dinner. But I ended up being late because I just had to get off my bike and stare. I'm from the Midwest. So wildfires are totally foreign to me. And at exactly 5.26 p.m., I took a photo of what looked like a volcano erupting on the other side of the mountain. I felt this wash of dread, like like a wave moving through my body. And I thought to myself, God help those people. This was the exact moment Sam McGee arrived at Tim's family home in Point Doom in a last-ditch effort to save their homes. What would I have done if I was in his shoes? Stay and fight? Or evacuate? What would you do? These are the choices millions of people in California, the West, and around the globe are faced with. The brigade model is designed so that when they have to make that choice, they can use their training and education to make a more informed decision. Wildfires are getting worse. Climate change, drought, and mismanaged forest lands are all making fires more intense, more frequent, and more unpredictable. Agency resources will never be enough to protect all people and their homes from hurricanes of fire. Some argue that people shouldn't live in Malibu at all, but the reality is they do, and they're not leaving. I've seen so much collective resilience in them, and it's not something I see every day. Some of their sandcastles were destroyed by nature. But when they're washed away, there's always a little remnant left, a crumpled foundation, a glimpse of what was lost. The bombers have taught me that that doesn't have to be an ending. When nature's tides change around you, it's possible 
With just a few remains, a pinch of imagination, and a pound of grit, to view it not as an end, but as a beginning. A new castle from the old. The Point Doom bombers and others here have shown they will do whatever it takes to fight for their home, even if their houses have already burned. Before I say the credits, I want to say that in this series, I focused on the Point Doom bombers, but there were a lot of other Malibu community members from other areas that were part of creating the community brigade model. Keegan asked me to be clear that they did not invent the brigade idea all by themselves. This was a community-wide, multi-generational effort by many, many people. And maybe... Someone will tell their story someday, too. Sandcastles is the result of four years of reporting. And I couldn't have done it without the help and encouragement of so many. Ezra Kaplan, who helped me realize what this story was really about. Avishai Artsy, Jennifer Wolf, Stephen Hoffman, Edith Tiansan, Leilani Vela, and Adriana Rimpel. And of course, a special thanks to the Point Doom bombers, both old and young, who took the time to open up their world and share their story with me. And a special shout out to my editor, Sasha Woodruff. Without her, there's no way I would have made it to the finish line with this podcast. A good editor is worth everything. And she is that and so much more. This episode was reported, produced, and hosted by me, Adriana Cargill. Editing by Sasha Woodruff. Story editing by Adam Whitney Nichols. Mixing and mastering by Kathleen Yor. Music by Marcelo de Oliveira. Theme song by Medium Zach. Fact-checking by Audrey Regan. Graphic design by Tomas Villasenor. This is a Wave Maker Media production. As you heard in the credits, this show is produced and distributed by a really small team. Everyone has full-time jobs working on this on nights and weekends over the course of years. If you enjoyed the series, the biggest thing you can do is go to Apple Podcasts and rate it five stars. Just hit the five-star button on the show's main page at the top. And if you have time, leave a review. I know. Every podcast asks for this, but it's especially important for independent podcasts like this one. We really appreciate it. Tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for supporting independent storytelling. <laughs>